Hello everybody, happy Thursday, and yes, you are back with me, Ethan McKinley, and we are back with another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast, with each week, the Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives. My radio voice, do you like it? Uh, we examine this film, of course, one minute at a time, and uh, without further ado, let me introduce the man that makes this all possible the podcast master the man the name podcasts after he's bad he's beautiful he's amazing jim o'kane how are you jim <laughs> welcome to the show i am having a great time thanks to you ethan it's a it, you are a very easy podcast episode to get through and i, I appreciate <laughs> you being on the other side of the microphone well uh, thank you uh, and yes we are back it is now thursday and if you've been following us this week the Pratt falls of actually jim and I, me work jim and i jim and i working together sorry get your grammar right Ethan. you are english of course uh, you'd think having an english host with our english accents we sound very credible and reliable and i've been anything but i've been bungling lines uh, not done the correct research so if you've made it this far with us listeners thank you uh, but we are here with minute uh, 34 and it begins and ends with what jim the gist of this it's still homer and family sitting around talking about the possibilities of reintegrating into society again maybe working in sales uh and then uh, you know homer makes a bungle and uh, ruins the rug quite frankly i'd kick him out of my house jim wouldn't because he's a gentleman <laughs> but uh let's get started i'll get my notes up Ah, okay. Well, yeah, as you said, uh, Wilma's telling uh, her dad's trying to find uh, Homer a job. And Wilma said, you know, Homer just got out of the hospital, dad. <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, don't, you know, you got to strike while the iron's hot. You got to get, get those opportunities out there. We're looking for uh, disabled veterans and you could, you know, there's a lot of money. And what, you he, know. Wants to get, he wants to get his hooks into something. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll do the puns. I'm sorry. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's... Uh, He's out there chatting about this, and uh, and he's like, "Come on down to the office." Here, okay. I just got home. I'm worried about how my family's reacting to me. I may have PTSD, which hasn't even been named yet. Uh, but sure, yeah. Let me let me come down and figure out a way to sell insurance to people. <laughs> Don't wind up like me or something. Um, and you know, it, it, we get to this uh, this terrible scene with uh, with her his uh, his mom, who's really doing the whole bug eye thing the whole time, being nervous about everything about everything. <laughs> And Homer cocks it. Well, in the last scene, she was uh, at the very end of the minute, didn't she? She gave like this you know, the bug eyed look you, you mentioned, like, oh, God, here we go again. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. Under yeah. a lot of Ooh, pressure. Don't Bless push her. my son. Don't, you know, she, <laughs> she just got over crying. You know, she, he's been home all day and she's been just weeping <clears> upstairs. And now she comes back with uh, this, you know, the tray of lemonade. And we know that ho this is making Homer nervous because we've we've watched. Homer striking innumerable matches and lighting up cigarettes and things. And... Well, he gets kind of like rejected in a sense by Don Beddoe's character, doesn't he? He's like, oh, God, what's he doing? And he kind of goes, yeah. I'm, I'm fine, Homer. Yeah, yeah. So he's, you know, obviously he's losing some of his self-confidence that he got at the, you know, at the rehab facility. Yeah. And uh, to the point of losing a giant glass of lemonade <laughs> on the floor. If this was um, a 70s film, he'd go off and just start... You know, go to the top of the clock tower and just start plugging people with his uh, his rifle, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, but all, you know, as we'll find out later, he, he does have a rifle, so he, fortunately, he's not going. He he's not going postal. I don't. As know we said postal. a few episodes back, it's like a, a prequel to First Blood. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, he doesn't have like a machine gun to shoot into the ceiling. And Richard Crenn is probably about eleven years old at this time. So. It's over, Homer. Nothing is over. You just don't turn it off. Oh God bless wow. him. Oh, but good, yeah, good old, good old Homer is just, you know, I gotta, 
wherever wherever I am, I gotta not be here. So uh, he he just bolts out the bolts out the door, and uh, I think he's just really upset that uh, he doesn't want to be taken care of. And his mom tries to be helpful by saying that, mm. uh, well, you know, Wilma will hold your glass and you know maybe wipe your wipe the spittle off your chin or something like that. She he's very you know don't don't worry, we've got Wilma here as your caregiver. And was like uh, what? Yeah, he's reluctant uh, Wilma. Know, uh, it's it's just you you feel the thing with this scene though is you feel everybody's emotions in the room. Mm. Um, Wil, Wilma Wilma doesn't know what to do to help. She doesn't know what to say. She doesn't know what to. She she doesn't know if she should interject herself in the in the scene. She's you know it's it's well, so, by helping it, him is that kind of like you know almost degrading him further by like you know. He's already been rejected for the kind of lighting of the cigar. Then he'd be like, "Oh, we'll pick them up." You, we'll, you know, everyone's picking them after him. That makes him. I, f- I guess he feels less, even less capable than he would. You know, they're yeah. making it worse in a sense, aren't they? Yeah, and and let's send the nine year old out to uh, clean up Homer's mess. <laughs> so, uh, you know, go get a dish rag out of the kitchen and and yeah. wipe things up. Is um is dish rag a British term? I don't know if that's used over in your yeah Netherlands. yes yes or dishcloth same thing mainly dishcloth but I have a dish rag yeah okay yeah. So it's a universal transatlantic thing. Um, <laughs> Trunk, boots, dishcloth, <laughs> dish rag. What's going on? Uh, I was going to say, do you know, ah. you probably know more about this than I do, but uh, a scene like this, so to speak, you've got a non-actor in it, of course. How, would they kind of, would they have shot this film in sequence for his behalf or would they just shot it in pieces? Things like this, would they have rehearsed the scene like, just before they shoot it, I think, or did that you kind of because actors work? They do say, like Gary Oldman said it once, like when he's learning lines and stuff or preparing for a film, he does lots of bedroom or kitchen acting because he said you never get the the benefit very rarely on a film. He did with, with theatre, of course. I'm not sure if it was the same back then, but I think he what he was saying is you don't get a chance to rehearse with their actors. You turn I've done this for you turn up on set and you have to be on your marks and know your lines and go. And I guess you play around and work things out when you're shooting, but as a rule, you wouldn't rehearse the film. Now because uh he is a non actor, Harold Russell, would they have kind of rehearsed with him or had more accommodation for that? Or was it a different style of filmmaking back then? I would think I mean William Wyler wanted him to have a more spontaneous um responses on there although i don't mm. think he should be surprised and the, and i'm sure that weiler sat down with him said now what you're going to do here is you're going to bumble the uh <clears throat> picking up the glass so mm. you know whatever you do just try to try to make it look like you're picking up the glass and uh and if you just release it uh by accident you've i'm sure you've had these accidents before when you were learning how to use the hooks so just do it like that but i get the feeling every everyone there was very supportive what i was reading earlier is that uh Russell insisted on meeting everybody and letting them shake hands with his hooks so that they could get used to the idea this is what it yeah. was going to be like on stage all the time. And this was so I would assume that he had a good rapport with everybody that was there filming this. Yeah. Um, but and uh, he would, know, how, how far out of the war would he have been, Harold Russell, at this point? When, when was he discharged? Well, After he, three he, years, right? He, yeah, he well, he lost his he lost his hands on D Day, so that would have been June sixth, nineteen forty four. This mm. was shot at the end of forty five, so a year he'd been a year of uh, learning or a year and a half almost learning to use his hooks. Is there any information on how he coped with the kind of the psychological trauma of losing his hands in the first place, and then you know not I mean, again? It's like 
Yeah, um, there, there's a he actually has a book called Victory in My Hands. Okay. Uh, that, that came out in 1940, I want to say 48. Mm. And it goes through his experiences, both getting the part and working on the, the, the army training film that talked about, you know, life after losing your hands. Um, but he, he goes into it in, uh, in great depth on there. I've only read, uh, I've only read portions of it that have been online. The, uh, the book itself is kind of hard to find and it's about $200. So I can't, I don't really want to eBay it at the moment. Um, but is it uh, not anywhere perhaps online where someone's just kind of, uh, I PDF'd all the pages. I'm sure maybe a. I'm hoping somewhere. I, I have yet to find it, but maybe someone else has, has yeah. discovered some hidden part of the web where it's at. But I know he does go through a lot of his experiences there, and it seems very. You know, he he seems very open about. I, I think what he felt is the more that he talked about it, the less. Uh, you know, the the fear of the unknown, I think, is what is what drives a lot of people in terms of scare being scared. Mm. So, um, I, I think what uh, his, his being open about it and talking about his disability, uh, he felt he helped a lot of other veterans to uh, to get over that uh, yeah. that, that prejudice. Because he married um, his he, sorry, he married his childhood yeah. sweetheart, didn't he? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Much like much like the movie. But it said that was his first wife. So I'm assuming she wasn't around. Was that anything to do with that post injury uh, being able to cope with perhaps him? Or no, I think she, or... I think she I think she passed. I think oh, she okay. passed la later on in life. And uh, he had a bit of a kerfuffle um, when he remarried. Uh, he wanted to go on a on a honeymoon. Mm. And he didn't really have a lot of money, you know, being working for a nonprofit organization like the DAV. He really wasn't well off. So what he did was he auctioned off his uh, Oscar, his Oscar and uh, caught a lot of flack for that. But, you know, it was it was his and they didn't have it. I mean, I understand what the, you know, the the uh, the Academy thought, well, it's ours and you shouldn't be desecrating it by selling it for filthy lucre. But um, what, what else could he have done? Yeah, I mean it. It doesn't. It it only means to him what it, what it could bring, and if it could bring happiness to him, he didn't need it sitting on a on a mantelpiece somewhere. I wonder. What, I wonder how much he got paid for this film. Is there any information on that about? Would you just get like a day rate, or I, I mean, how would it? Have I, he, he was a SAG actor, so I'm assuming that it's uh, it's just the scale. I'm not sure what it was at the time, but it was he was a working Joe like all these <clears> other ones, <throat> and he wasn't even a principal. I mean, he's listed as a. Uh, that's what I find really amazing is that he's listed as a supporting actor, but I think he's one of the main characters. He should have mm. gotten whatever Dana Andrews was getting. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, it, suppose it works on well, you're not a big star. They're not coming to see this because of you. They're coming to see it for Frederick March and stuff. Or yeah. Some of the other people. Yeah. He's not listed. He's not listed on the, um, cause there were movie the stars post. then weren't there? There were people that got, I wouldn't say millions of dollars for their, their roles and things, but they got, uh, I mean, what's you you know? It's what's the difference between a scale actor, a, a player, if you will, when you get a contract. Because Clint Eastwood, I think, was a a contract player, wasn't he, for many years? I think he's in Tarantula and things before he got his big break in the Spaghetti Westerns, which really started his career, and made him a star. If he was a a studio player or a contract player, what would he be getting? Just a weekly wage, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're okay. they're pretty much a flat a flat wage, and they didn't, uh, you know, like uh, a feature player would get a bonus. I don't, I'm not sure what the bonus is, but yeah, basically they were all getting their, you know, the same $200 a week or $400 a week, whatever, whatever it was in 1946, they were getting still a, a lot of money then though, wasn't it? That was still a fantastic wage. I imagine that'd be thousands of dollars a week now, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Let me, uh, I'm just yeah. going to Google while we're, while we're chatting. Uh, a, yeah. A, a inflation adjuster. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, in, wow. Uh, no, I just have a look. just seeing the history of uh, <laughs> history of pay. Um, I know I... there were there was a lot of stuff going on in the '40s where they were doing um, 
they were having arguments about the you know, upcoming TV with television yeah. being able to show movies on there. Did they get uh, the idea of residuals, residuals never occurred yeah. to anybody? Um, yeah, no, it's an interesting uh, thing how the pay structure is different. I think a lot of people were saying it was probably better then because once you're attached as a contract player, you were safe. You had like work ahead of you. You were booked up for stuff like you know, a year in advance, he knew, you know, where your next paycheck was coming from. He didn't have to kind of worry about that kind of thing. At, yeah, what, I, at what point did it change? Is it in the seventies when kind of like, like yeah. big companies bought, when the studio bosses kind of died off and the Xanox and people, when all these other kind of, I think George Lucas has mentioned it and he says like, you know, someone like Pepsi would come in and buy the studio and then kind of like uh, it all changed when George Lucas thinks maybe for the better in his terms, because it was that kind of early, that mid seventies and all those kind of like young hot young Turk directors came through, but until then it was a studio system, isn't it? I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know which was better or not. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, but it, it like if you're trying to borrow somebody from another studio, I think that's where it went up. Like like typically, like scale nowadays is, is um you, the day rate is three thirty five three hundred thirty five dollars a day, or you get now is that uh, for an extra? Or is that for a speaking part? For a speaking for a speaking part, <clears throat> you get. You get your scale. Your scale is three thirty-five uh, a day, or okay. you get eleven hundred and sixty-six a week. Right, and that's just that's just you're the guy holding a gun in the background, you know, sure. like and they, you know, anything to report, nothing. It's good sir. money, you know, that, though, right? Every oh yeah, you know, eleven sixty-six. Yeah. yeah, but you're, you're working fourteen-hour days, so it's like, oh my gosh, and you got to stand around the set waiting for your scene. So, well, you've been there, you know what this is like. Oh yeah, and, oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, and then if uh, I think I maybe you're the more of the expert on this, but I think if you're getting scale, you get uh, like you get scale plus ten percent if you were if you were loaned there by an agent because then your agent gets the ten percent exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On top of it, and that was that was I mean, that was one of the big things that SAG fought for because what would happen beforehand is okay, you'd get you know, say you get a hundred dollars a day back in the day, yeah, but you'd get ninety dollars and your agent would get or you you get eighty five and your agent would get fifteen. Yeah, but I think uh, SAG and Afri after after their big push in 1980, I think was the big the last big change in in setting up the rates yeah. that you got when they said you got th- 335. If your agent was there, they'd add 10 percent on it for hiring you through an agent. Right. Um, okay. So yeah, yeah it's very uh, interesting. Yeah, it's um you know, and this is the thing that you never you, you know you hear about somebody getting millions and millions of dollars to be a part, <laughs> and those are the those are the Tom Cruises of the world. But it, you know, typically, you're, the, the average schmo that you're seeing on the on the TV screen is getting three hundred thirty five dollars just for doing a day's work yeah. on on screen. But still, over a year, that's over fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year pay. Yeah, comparatively. Yeah. Yeah, so, but yeah. you have to be working all those days. That's the other the other portion of it. And then, then there's stuff like, um, oh gosh, there, there's there's all the residuals that like if you've done a part and it's on screen, and then it goes to uh, well they used to say video because it goes to video, it goes to streaming, goes there. You get paid every time it gets um, pr- uh, shown on yeah. screen, and that that goes into a pool and. You know, six months six months after you finish the project, you get a you get a check for eighty five dollars. Yeah. You go, oh great! And then five years later, you get one for a dollar eighty five less. Yeah. You know, fifty cents for the uh, for the stamp. By the way, who collates and keeps tabs on that? Because you also often hear actors go, "Oh yeah, I got a check for this TV show I did twenty years ago for like twenty cents." First of all, what's the point? Obviously, it has to be done. But like, 
who keeps an eye on that to make sure so-and-so gets their a few nickels and a few dimes here for something from 20 years ago who keeps tabs on those things it's the uh i mean the the management companies that are, are typically the ones that yell at them and uh it, the production you know the production house will crank out you'll get you'll get a check from viacom i know people who get who get checks from Viacom and they go as low as eighty cents? You know, so you can get a oh, oh great eighty cents. This it little... probably cost more than that to post the check, didn't it? it exactly, yeah. But they've got to they've got to send it. So it's you know it. it's it's all these things and um yeah you know it's very it's very awkward. There's and there's the idea of you know getting into SAG, getting into you know there's there's uh. Uh, there, there's stuff where people are doing independent features and they, they might be low budgeted. They may be, you know, like under $250,000. Mm. You might only get 125 a day. There's, yeah. there's like the low budget, the indies get a different, mm. get on different pay rate, but you can still have a SAG actor working in your movie. So, you know, when you see Mr. Sulu and he's doing something with a handheld, uh, <laughs> you know, they're running, yeah. they're running around with a, uh, with iPhones filming, a. Uh, uh, George Takei, he's probably getting 125 bucks for showing up that day. Oh my! Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was an awful so, George Takei impression from Ethan there. Thank you. Very good, very good. You put that in the resume. Um, it, he doesn't get on uh, with Shatner, does he? I I watched this. Um, there's a Channel Four show called Bring Back Star Trek, where uh, a presenter went looking to try and get the cast of Star Trek together and do a reunion. And uh, George Takar's like, "Well, I'm not going to help you find him. You'll get no help from me." So I, I'll try and find find it for you and send it to you, Jim. It's a great show. Wow. But yeah, yeah. He didn't have anything highly to say highly to say about uh, Mr. Sh- Mr. Shatner. Yeah, he's uh... a. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, uh, I've read I've read Takei's uh, uh, book about his Star Trek memories, and it, <laughs> it, it clashes rather wildly with Mr. Shatner's stuff. Now, so, is that just Shatner's ego, or was it just because, like, oh, he's just like an Asian person? It was that things were different then. It's, or... it's yeah, I I think it's it's just a matter. It, it, it's it's mostly a matter of ego, and yeah. nobody likes being. You know, everybody's the star of their own show. So, and he, uh, I think William Shatner is particularly so the star of his own show. So he, <laughs> and uh, actors do not like to share the screen. It's just no. one of those things. But you know, they've uh, they've all got money to make. There's all you know. It's it's the idea that you can sign up for a you know a hotel reservation system, or you're selling. Uh, uh, well, probably nowadays they're they're probably all doing different kind of pharmaceutical ads. I would think mm. at, at that age, and there's there's not many of them left. I think it, I mean there's like there's like Sulu, Uhura, Chekhov, and uh, Kirk, right? I think yeah, that's Walter all. Yeah, Kirk, Shatner's yeah. still very spry as well, super sharp. Yeah. Yeah, no, he seems to be... Uh, and for he for to 90, be... he's quite remarkable. It's like, I don't yeah. know. Ma- managing his retirement. Uh, the hair system I know that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a wig, it's a hair system. <laughs> Sabotage, yeah. It's, um, Sabotage. Well, well, anyway, <laughs> want... back, back to 1946. Um, yes, sir. I keep wondering about how many how many takes they had to do that and how much how much lemonade there was on the floor i mean it does fall off camera but i was gonna say what do you think they were drinking do you think it's lemonade it might as well be lemonade i mean it's it's tinted water of some kind and just, just yeah <laughs> just no ethan it's not to... victorian times again we've had this discussion <laughs> they had other things in the 40s like cocaine and things yeah second all and all like that. um <laughs> uh the uh <laughs> sorry the only the only uh british uh, uh, medicine joke I know is uh, is uh, why why are there no headaches in the jungle? <laughs> because the uh, paracetamol, <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't doesn't work in the U.S. since it's acetaminophen here. So uh, okay. 
Ah, wow. Well, we've gone astray from this pretty <laughs> but that's okay. I'm, uh, we can come back. I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm I'm still fascinated by their house. I just want to know all the things that are. Is well, apart like... from that weird lamp thing as well, there's that the strange architecture across the eaves of that, like, well, that to that almost sometimes like a wagon wheel style thing with those two drop down balls, isn't it, behind uh, yes, dear, yes, dear very, mother? Uh, very arts and crafts style or Victor- yeah. Victorian era uh, uh, style. The, the little boxes, the display boxes above the hearth on each side, I'm assuming there. Yeah, I keep thinking in a uh, <laughs> in any of the home improvement shows that are on cable nowadays the first thing they do is knock everything out and just make it all open concept yeah <laughs> those things really big dust catchers i'm just looking at them. i'm trying to figure is there some kind of like a um, that wouldn't a, matter there's a woman at home to clean it <laughs> by god what what is the thing between the clock and that odd looking lamp there's some kind of a a doll or some kind of a voodoo totem or something i don't know it looks yeah it looks like a porcelain girl in a kind of Pinny and apron and a head scarf. Oh, yeah, okay, I can see that. Yes, yes, it's all. Yeah, I just, I just want to. It's one of those things where you just want to jump in the frame and just look at all the knickknacks and tchotchkes on the wall. It, um, uh, Are there any kind of like, because this is a classic film? Is there no books out there detailing the production with like really good behind the scenes pictures and things or anything? I've tried to find one. I just, I mean, I've seen bios of William Wyler's about as close mm. as I can get to it, but they, they don't get into. I mean, set decoration to me is so fascinating and you, you know you you and i have both been on sets and it's always yeah. just fascinating look at all, all, well, looking I, I at all mean, the... i'm like you i probably i collect movie books and things i mean that's a big industry now isn't it i mean there's a there's a there's a there's a diehard one i want to get and it's got little pullouts and schematics of the sets they built and stuff and the same with the ghostbusters book and things these like coffee table sized books with all these like really cool things in them and stuff so yeah i'm, I'm very fascinated by that stuff yeah, I've seen a Blade Runner one like that, and uh, yes, yes. A, it's it's brilliant. And you know, it's so many it's so many things that you can't you don't have time to look to look at yeah. it in the movie, even if you freeze frame and you get you get other views of it or seeing how how much detail they put in that you're not you're not seeing on the screen. It seems like overkill when you see some of the details on the production, like the models, the the this, the that, the buildings. But I think when you're actually watching the film, it all obviously adds to it. So when they put like a a sticker on a wall that you don't really see anyway, but it just adds to the kind of, uh, you know, the patina, doesn't it, and stuff. But uh, it is funny. There's not more information about this film. I do, I do wonder. <clears throat> especially, I mean, especially since you know it it it's won the most yeah uh, Academy Awards and stuff. It should be bigger than it is. I'm 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 always surprised that people like you, you said it, it, people hadn't heard of it, mm. and it was it was enormous. It was such a, a an enormous uh, thing that just vanished into uh, into thin air but i don't know if i've not pe- heard of it i like again i i considered myself quite the movie buff and I mean, i'd literally not heard of this could it possibly be that people uh got tired of thinking about the problems of post-war that they you know they didn't really want to watch it because that was a bad time uh no i'm just a poorly wed read and watched moron jim but uh, i'll say it for you instead but very a, a nice save <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm trying to figure out why it doesn't have the uh, acclaim that the acclaim. Like it's uh, a wonderful life. I've heard of that. Capra's films and things. How how is this not on my radar at all? Yeah, well, pipe I mean, rack maybe, as well. It, it doesn't involve a uh, it doesn't involve a holiday period of some time. There's no Christmas mm. scene. Maybe if they had mm-hmm. set it at Christmas, you'd you'd see it in regular rotation on TV. But it's got some nice feel good scenes in it and and stuff and and you know. So I don't know. And it's obviously a very timely film. I saw Mel Brooks speaking highly of it during my research and things and other people. 
So it's yeah. like a known film that well-respected people in the industry, as well as fans, obviously like and stuff. It's just very odd that it's not on these. Uh, it, well, it is in the AFI uh, film library, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 as critical <clears throat> to watch as say um, Grapes of Wrath or. Mm-hmm. Dracula. I mean, it's right there. It's it's so yeah. And and the acting in this is fantastic. I think it's yeah. some of the best acting you'll the ever mix see. Of on professionals film. and I guess amateurs or good natural actors. Yeah. yeah, but even even like being able to direct little kids like Luella, the way the Luella's ha- hanging in there at the beginning of this or at the end of the scene, uh, getting getting an, a proper action out of a ten year old without making it look well, like. And now you read this line, this line or whatever. She she comes across very natural. And, but like uh, all of William Wallace of the films here, like Funny Girl, uh, Ben Hur, Roman Holiday, The Big Country. I've heard of all these films. I wonder why I've not heard this one. I must be just an idiot. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I mean. It's it's you can't exactly call it a genre film. That's the only no. thing. It's like when you think of Funny Girl, it's a musical. Uh, the Big Country, it's a western. What do you call this? Yeah. I, I don't know what you call. It can't even call. I mean, the closest <laughs> people talk about it is a war drama, but it's not a war drama. It's an after the war drama. Because Wiley so, goes back into silent as well, doesn't he? Yeah. That explains why so he's got some of these silenced stars in as well. He probably worked with them back in the day as well and brought them through into, uh, you know, the new era of film. Yeah, and probably very happy to, uh, you know, have their, <laughs> get their daily rate or whatever. I mean, I, mm. uh, I can't imagine that they spent more than two or three days on the set with mom and dad, even the wedding scenes and stuff to come. They really don't spend a lot of time in this film. It's mm. mostly... Uh, I would be interested to find it if they filmed in sequence because I know they don't do that generally with films. It's rare that they do. But uh, yeah, I if they did uh, it then, I mean, they would have to do it by yeah, like just just bringing them in. They had to do the. the I would think the location shooting would have been done first, mm. just to get just to get that out of the way because that's the trickiest bit. You can control the weather in a studio, you can't control it outdoors. So I think the first thing that you did was watch for sunny days and going out and doing those those outdoor scenes with uh, you know the homecoming. Mm. And then um, trying to figure out if there's other, and then the outdoor scene they probably filmed it the same day with uh, Wilma talking with the kids outside. That's coming up in a future episode, but yeah, uh, yeah and I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any other. But I think everything else is handled at least with Wilma indoors. Yeah. So uh, uh, getting getting them in, and now I can't remember. No, they didn't. the The wedding scene. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves. The wedding scene, I don't think, was filmed in Homer's house. That was in Wilma's house. Mm. So that was a new that was a new set. But I think this is the only time we see this particular set Do here. Do you assume this is a set then, and not an actual house? This is a. Set oh yeah. As well. Oh for yeah. sure. Yeah. This okay. is definitely a set. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at if you look at some of the reflections on the ceiling, it's it's either a set or they've got an awful lot of lights in a very little house. <laughs> um, what? But, so which which this is RKO, right? You know about yeah, the this is Ar- RKO because that. Was... Uh, yeah, Samuel Goldwyn. So uh, oh, RKO's... they made King Kong, the original King Kong. I remember it for that. Right, and it's it's the. Um, I'm trying to think. It's the. It's not it the says Gower RKO Street. Radio Pictures, right? So was it originally a, a, a what a no, radio station? No, th- this was a this was a Sam this is a Samuel Goldwyn production. I right. think they used they used RKO's uh, studios, but ah, it wasn't a, okay. It wasn't it wasn't produced by them. Now, radio Radio Keith Orpheum was uh, it was a chain of. Well, it's vertically integrated market. What they did was they had a studio. They also had radio stations, and they also had the Orpheum uh, theater chain. Yes. So they could they could just you know promote the promote the movies on radio and push them out into uh, uh, into theaters. Right. Uh, the Supreme Court broke all that up because it was considered a trust, uh, and so the fifties all those you know it, it, you'll still see um, 
cinemas with you know United Artists Cinemas or uh, or RKO Studio RKO Cinemas or or the Orpheum, but they're no longer related to each other because they separated the studios from the exhibition houses. Okay, uh, and they got picked up by things like Pepsi and stuff. AMC Theaters <laughs> was owned by uh, Pepsi for a while. Well, I think and, AMC's gone under, hasn't it now because of COVID? I think. Is it- well, they're coming back thanks to the um, redditors that are buying their stock uh, majorly. So that's they're <laughs> they're getting they're getting a, an unexpected boost. So maybe they have enough money in their in their uh, tills to uh, carry them through until the uh, uh, you know the, the the war is over with viruses. Do you think um, movies are going to come back? Uh, well, theaters or I don't well, know. I, at this, at this at point now, with Wonder Woman and all this, Wonder Woman is releasing its entire. We're in twenty twenty now. Twenty twenty one. Christ, I've not got the year wrong. <laughs> I've, got, I've got research wrong. My year wrong. Right. It's all the Lord of my drink, listeners. I'm sorry. Uh, we're <laughs> in twenty twenty one. If you're listening to this in the future, but uh, yeah, do you think now Warner Brothers has released? Well, it says it is. It's going to release like all these films. It pushed June back till the end of the year. But what do you think is going to happen with this? Is it it's going to go away completely? People have got used to seeing stuff at home now. What what do you it, reckon? I I'm I'm seeing that there will always be theaters. I just think there's going to be men. I think there will be a lot of losses. Many of them will disappear. Yeah. Um. You'll see some of the bigger change. What this is affecting a lot is art houses that require you know that rely on people coming in every week. Yeah. And uh, they're getting you know the, basically the mom and pop shops, the mom and pop theaters are probably going to go away. Yeah. Um. But they'll, you know, they might come back in small doses. It's kind of hard to. So you uh, got you, you, where? What part of Texas are you in? I'm in North Texas near Dallas. Okay. So I know you got the Alamo Draft House. I've heard of that, but that's in Austin, right? Yeah, no, they're everywhere. They're really. Oh. Uh, they've oh, they've uh, they've syndicated, and they're they're everywhere. I okay. uh, I I am one of the few people, although I you know I do enjoy their uh, library of movies that they show. Um, I I'm not. I'm not a fan of the Alamo way of watching movies. Uh, they're very screaming much, fans, they're, and they're they're very shushy in the. Yeah, they don't like people uh, yelling at the screen. I uh, I grew up with, um, uh, you know, like downtown cinephiles. movie theaters with people yelling, "Look out behind you!" That kind of stuff. And I enjoy. <laughs> I, the reason I go to a theater is to enjoy it with an audience. Yeah. And I I enjoy the willing suspension of disbelief. And so I, they're I love more the a, European style of movie watching. It's all like, don't talk. Yeah, shout at the screen. Exactly. You know, it's, I, I don't want to sit there bound and gagged so as not to upset my uh, my fellow <laughs> viewers. I want to yell at the screen. I want to scream. I want to. Clap okay, so off. you still do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's there. I mean, I used to go. Gosh, back in the seventies, I used to go to kung fu movies, and and people would be screaming <laughs> and yelling, and uh, you know, that's yeah, basically what, you go... what is it? Christian Slater in True Romance. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Clarence Worley. Yeah, I just and, and and the Alamo Theater they'll they'll walk you out and the worst thing now to me is that they have uh, Rocky Horror and they <laughs> I'd love to see you in a in, a, in fishnets and all they <laughs> and of course uh, oh back in the day well, we, you know, the the, uh, the thing about Rocky Horror though is they sell neat little packages that you can bring you know you can buy at their at their counter and mm. walk walk into the theater and they'll tell you at the appropriate time when to throw things or hold things. And it's like, this is not Rocky horror. This is this terrible this is school again. Yeah. This is uh, regimented. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it just, it's like the it, room, it, isn't it? With the plastic spoons and the bags of spoons. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you just want to, it, it, they've, they've managed to squeeze all the fun out of it and, yeah. and, and monetize it. So it yeah. just, 
Uh, so anyway, that's that's my my spiel. But yeah, I, I realize there are many people that enjoy having an absolutely silent uh, watching of uh, of a movie, and for them, they have Alamo Drafthouse, and I, I'm very mm. grateful that these people have a have a venue for that. I just would prefer going to a downtown theater and having people yelling at the screen while stuff is going on. Yeah, I think we discussed um, this, didn't we? Because like uh, Avatar, that would have to come out. On a, I'm sure at a theater, because what's the point otherwise to see it in its proper 3D? Avatar 2, 3, yeah. 4, whatever. And, and, and 3D's, not, the yeah. 3D TV's never really sold as far as I could tell. I mean, no. I know they keep yeah, pushing the, it, but... The tech wasn't quite there. You need a medium where you don't need the glasses. I think that's what James Cameron has hinted to for these new Avatar films. How they'll pull that off, I don't know. But that was one of the rumors. He's going to do the same thing this time, but you won't need the glasses. But uh, I don't yeah. know how that would work with the kind of... the the split lenses and the way they, they, they've shot it. So who knows? I, I keep wondering about if they're ever going to release something in VR, that it'll be like a ride. You, you, you put them on and you watch a, you watch maybe a 90 minute movie that is yeah. shot in VR and you can look around and follow whatever's going on. Well, I think as like gaming and stuff and the two blend, I think that's the way things will go. But it's just interesting in this, this new year, like we just discussed, like Warner Brothers put its entire slate on, is it HBO go or HBO max? Yes. Where, and, how and where and how the movie is going to make money was one woman and a hit did more people see it on amazon prime or what is it hbo go in your country uh, of course like how yeah how, that's how, right yeah, hbo max yeah yeah a- hbo max was was releasing everything and they're and they've as we're speaking of this the uh the latest that's bond surely, film yeah surely billions of dollars lost right if they yeah, just put I would, on hbo go yeah that although the studio it, Having having seen Wonder Woman, I wonder if it would have been, uh, you know, if if the movie would have cratered anyway, if you know, if not for the COVID, if it would have cratered and, yeah. and been a disaster anyway. Mm. Um, Sorry, I interrupted you. We're talking about uh, thingy Bond. They're offered. Oh, uh, Bond. Yeah, Bond has been pushed back to like November or something, as far as I know. Or Netflix offered to buy it, though, didn't they, for like five hundred thousand yeah. million? Yeah, and they said no. Yeah, so uh, I mean, it's it, it would be and embarrassing Top, if Top uh, Gun Two's been moved back as well, hasn't it? That's uh... yeah, and uh, Black Widow is has been moved back as well. So we're uh, you know we're seeing these things. Of course, when people are listening to this uh, months from after we've been recording this, so this, everything might have cleared up and everything. We've you know, already there. seen this. We've it's been on TV already. Stop talking yeah. about it. Yeah. We're past thirty minutes, we're, 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 we can go off off, off road a little yeah. bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's yeah, let's let's pause here. I mean, we've gotten through okay. this minute, but we'll we'll come back tomorrow and chat chat anon about it. Um, let's see, uh, Ethan. Well, I I know I'm the guest, but Ethan, where can people listen to you when they're not listening to us here? It's funny you should say that, Jim. And uh, thank you for that prompt. And you'd think I'd, I'd be well prepared. And I've got my notes up. So, uh, yes, listeners, you can find uh, the Best Minute Podcast, this very show, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. And, of course, the main site, bestminutes.com. Now, uh, you can also, if you want to talk about it, if you want to discuss some of the things we've talked about, if you want to decry Warner Brothers and HBO Go and what's going on and was Wonder, Wonder, Wonder Woman any good, or even talk about this film, The Best Years of Our Lives. <laughs> You can go to Butch's Place, the Best Years of Our Lives Listeners Club, or Cafe, sorry, uh, on Facebook. I'm getting better at this, Jim. I need, I need four, four episodes in. Uh, it's also on at Twitter at The Best Minutes. Now, uh, I'll also let you know, even though I should only tell this on Fridays, but I think we all need a bloody plug. Why not? There are over 180 Movies by Minute podcasts available on moviesbyminutes.com. So if this movie isn't your cup of tea, how dare you? Uh, at least listen to the, the the minutes I'm on. But if you don't, uh, there are other shows you can listen to, including mine, uh, the two minute Terminator to uh, for one. Jim's other wonderful show, uh, 
the Rocketeer Minute, where he had the very star of that film, Billy Campbell, on for many, many episodes. Any film you can think of, even to the most obscure thing like Into the Night, my favourite film, uh, is also on there. So please go there to uh, moviesbyminutes.com, find your favourite movie and get into it one minute at a time. Now, please join us here next time, tomorrow, Friday, uh, for Minute 34, and we will try and uh, land this land this as we, as we finish out the week, land this plane on its wheels, uh, not get our hands blown off, or our podcasting mics, or any other body part, quite frankly. Uh, I'd like to thank Jim O'Kane, uh, our wonderful co-host and grandfather of us all. Uh, where can people find you, Jim? Apart from, apart from in jail. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Just, usually I'm sitting in front of a microphone or I'm, I'm sitting in front of a computer typing. He got, so. he got arrested for kvetching at the Alamo Draft House. <laughs> I want to scream at this movie. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find me on my, my main my main site. It's real easy. JimOkane.com. J-I-M-O-K-A-N-E. And you can find all the stuff that I'm, uh, I've involved myself in way too much. But uh, and I hope to, if I haven't updated, it should have this. It should have the best years of our lives uh, up there as well as you read this. If not, I've just made a note to myself to go and update that. But yeah, find, find me out there. Uh, wow. Yeah, see that, listeners? Concise. He got all his points across. He mentioned the Best Minutes podcast. You did better than me. Tomorrow, last day of the week, we're going to try and get it right. Uh, thank you all for listening, everyone. You are wonderful. Hope you're enjoying the film as much as we have. And more of that, the conversation between me and lovely old Jim. And we'll see you tomorrow. Good night uh, and happy Thursday. Ah, adios. Hey, Joe. You better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.